Well, good morning. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving full of peace, joy, and thankfulness, absent of political arguments. Heard that was the biggest concern about Thanksgiving coming up. Everyone recover from the game yesterday? No? Yeah, me neither. A song actually posted on Facebook what his heart rate was during the game. Um, so I went into my Fitbit app to see what my heart rate had done, and my heart rate had actually gone up into the yellow on the graph, meaning I was actually burning fat while I was watching the game yesterday. It was a little intense, a little intense. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Harvey. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Grace Ann Arbor. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're continuing our series on the will of God. We've talked about the freedom that we have in the will of God. We talked about it's God's will for us to become wise. Today, we're going to talk about a question I often hear, which is, how do I know what my calling is? What is God calling me to do? Or what should I do with my life? And usually, this question is connected in some way to vocation or career. Because in our society, in our culture, we've kind of enmeshed career and calling so closely together that they've almost become the same thing. This, of course, raises the stakes significantly when we're considering a graduate program or for which fellowship to apply to or which job to take or which city to live in. This raises it because it's all tied into God's calling. And so how do we determine what God's calling is on our life, and how do we pursue that? That's the question we're going to discuss this morning. Would you please pray with me before we get started? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for your love for us, and ask that you would please open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning and help us to see you and understand better your calling on our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So growing up, my goal in life was to be an army officer. Now, it makes sense. I'm an army brat. Grew up up until age 14. I'd only lived on military bases, and the boss was the general. And the only way to get there to be the boss was to become an officer and go through the ranks and potentially be a general. So my life, my early life in particular, was really tied up in this idea of being an army officer. As a child, when I thought of myself in the future, I thought of myself and I saw myself as leading soldiers. So then when my dad retired and we moved to the suburbs of Detroit, this continued in my life and this desire continued. And I ended up applying actually to the Citadel, a military college in South Carolina. And because I wasn't a great high school student, I couldn't get the scholarship, so I couldn't afford to go to the Citadel, so I went up to my backup school, Wayne State University. Now, Wayne State is a good school, but it wasn't a good school for me. I didn't have a great experience there. I didn't fit in. There was a lot of issues going on with that, so I learned two years into college about the possibility, the opportunity to get an ROTC scholarship and go to Eastern Michigan University. Now, it was a two-phase process to get this scholarship. You first had to apply to apply, basically. You had to submit your transcripts and your records and say, will you get accepted to go what they, to what they called basic camp? Now, basic camp is an augmented form of basic training, 
We had to do all the same things that basic trainees had to do. We had to learn to march and salute and fire the weapon. We had to make our beds a certain way and clean up everything. And all that stuff got yelled at by drill sergeants and did push-ups when we did things wrong. Um, but on top of that, we also had leadership development training. We learned how to present a plan to a group, how to implement that plan, how to do all those processes necessary to lead a group of soldiers. Now, a very competitive process, and at the end of the camp, I had done well enough in all of my assessments that I earned a two-year scholarship to EMU. So I came back, did my first year at EMU, which was my junior year, and did all the training and stuff. And then part of the ROTC training is the summer between your junior and senior year, you go to what's called advanced camp. Advanced camp is more leadership development, but mostly leadership assessment. Because a year from then, the people finishing that advanced camp would be second lieutenants in the army and would be leading soldiers. So you had to be able to do all these things. And it was an advanced camp where my dream of becoming an army officer came crashing down around me. So I've never been an athlete. I've never liked exercising, and that summer, I did not keep up with a consistent workout routine. I didn't work out at all before I went to camp. So I get there, and the first assessment was our physical fitness assessment. And I failed the initial physical fitness assessment. Was there for a couple more days, had a chance to kind of relax and do that, and then I did the retake and I failed the retake. Within a week of going to advanced camp, I was sent home. I'd lost my scholarship. I'd lost my dream of becoming an army officer. It was one of the lowest points in my life. I felt like I lacked purpose. I felt like I lacked an identity because I had connected this army career with my calling. I had convinced myself that God had called me to be an army officer. And when I couldn't do that, I was in emotional turmoil. I didn't, okay, who am I? What am I supposed to do? And the problem was I confused my career with my calling. See, our career is not our calling. Your career is not your calling. That's why asking God questions like, what should my career be? What graduate program should I go to? Where should I go for fellowship? That's why questions like this are often frustrating because we're asking God, really, God, what are you calling me to do? What is your calling for me? But we're asking the question in such a way that God can't answer it because we're asking for a vocation or a career, not for a calling. God has a calling for all of us. Every one of us has a calling from God, but it's not necessarily your career. Now, our careers can advance our calling, can be part of how we fulfill our calling, but they are not one and the same. Evidence of this is Careers usually end. A calling doesn't. You usually retire from a career. 
You can't retire from a calling. A career is temporal. A calling is eternal. Your calling continues into eternity. Christine Kane, an author, uh, says it like this. She says, what are you going to do, retire and play golf? Really? As long as we are breathing, God has placed us on this earth for a purpose. Your career may end. You can retire from a career. You can't retire from a calling. And fundamentally, I think the core of our calling for all of us is the same thing. We live it out in a myriad of different ways, but our calling, your calling, my calling, the purpose for all of us is the same. And my favorite summary of that calling, that purpose, is in the Westminster Catechism. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God created you, God created me, God created every person who has ever lived for one all-encompassing purpose, to glorify him and experience great joy in that. This is your calling. This is my calling. This is all of our calling, to glorify God and enjoy him in that experience. This theme is present throughout Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We even see it when we look at the writings of Jews and Christians about the Christian life outside the Bible. We can see this consistent theme that people are here to glorify God and enjoy him. And one of the places we're going to look at today to really dig into that is Paul talking to the church in Colossae. So if you could grab your Bible and open up to Colossians chapter 1, it's on page 983 in the Bible in front of you. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 16 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And it says, for by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. All things, everything. If it's your Bible, highlight that, underline that. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, and in, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now this him to whom Paul is referring is, of course, Jesus Christ. And the point of the letter to the church in Colossae is to let them know that Jesus is above all things. Jesus is above the things that they have worshiped or are tempted to worship. There's a problem of worshiping idols and a problem of worshiping spirits in the church in Colossae, and Paul is saying, no, none of them are greater than Jesus. G Jesus is above all, and proof of that, evidence of that, is that through Jesus and for Jesus, all things were created, even spiritual things. All things were created through him and for him. And this, of course, means us, right? 
course, this means that we were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And often we miss this point. We think it intellectually. We think in our minds, we're like, yes, I'm created through Jesus and for Jesus. But the way we live out our lives is often not the case. We live our lives as if our job is our reason for a living. Our purpose is our job, or our purpose is our family, or our purpose is to make a positive impact on the world, or our purpose is to share the gospel. And all of those things are good things, but none of them is our purpose, our reason for existence. None of them is our calling. Our calling is to glorify God and enjoy him. And we can do it through all those things, through our job, through how we treat our family, through the impact we make on the world, and of course, through sharing the gospel. All of those things can glorify God, and through them we can enjoy him, but they are a means to that end. They cannot and should not be ends in and of themselves. The purpose of them is so that we can glorify God and enjoy him forever. The usual routine for us at home at night when I'm home is after we put the kids, we kind of do the brush your teeth, and of course I need a drink and all of the arguing with children when it's time to go to bed. It takes about an hour that we plan to get them to go to bed. Um, But then when they're laying down in their beds, I go to my five-year-old son Jonathan's room, and I get down on my knees, and I pray out loud in front of him. And then I ask Jonathan, okay, Jonathan, it's your turn to talk to God. And then he prays. And then I tuck him in, I give him a kiss, tell him good night, and I go into Brenda's room. Now my daughter, Brenda, is 10, so I sit down on her bed, and usually she's got a Nancy Drew novel out that she's reading. And so I wait for her to find a spot to stop her book, then she sets it down, and I ask her, Brenda, What did you do to be like Jesus today? That question used to frustrate Brenda to no end. It still might a little, but she doesn't let on as much. But it frustrated her, and one night, I'd asked her this question. We said, Daddy, I think that you're trying to get me to focus on Jesus instead of focusing on my schoolwork. And she knew that her job as a fifth grader, as a 10-year-old girl, was to go to school and do her schoolwork. And so she was frustrated and confused because like, okay, I do schoolwork, then I do Jesus stuff, then I do schoolwork. I can't do both. You know, so she didn't say it in these words, but her frustration was, Dad, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. So what am I supposed to be doing? And I noticed two things in that conversation. First, I hadn't taught her that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, even schoolwork. And I had modeled for her what it looks like to glorify God and enjoy him in all things. And so that night, we had a conversation. And I explained to her as Christians Our responsibility is to glorify God and enjoy him in everything. So it's not do schoolwork, then do Jesus stuff, then play with your friends, then do Jesus stuff, then do schoolwork. It's like, no, as you're doing schoolwork, 
glorify Jesus. As you're playing with your friends, glorify Jesus. As you're interacting with your teachers, glorify Jesus. It all comes together. And I talked to her about this verse later in Colossians um, 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When you do schoolwork, glorify God. Do your schoolwork as if you were doing it for Jesus. Play with your friends as if you were playing with them with Jesus. Everything should be about glorifying Jesus and enjoying Jesus in the process. I've also changed our nighttime routine. Instead of sitting down on her bed and expecting her to have an answer of how have you been glorifying God today, I first share with her a moment from my life. How did I try to be like Jesus today? How did I glorify God today? And then I ask her to share a moment from her life. And we talk about our moments and talk about what that means. And I think this new process, this new experience has probably been better for me than for Brenda because now my 10-year-old daughter is holding me accountable to what I teach her. Brenda's holding me accountable. When I sit down on her bed, I have to have a moment in my life where I was trying to be like Jesus, where I was glorifying Jesus. Because if I don't, I'm a hypocrite. And it's helped me think throughout the day about Jesus. It's helped me think more in doing the things that I do. Am I glorifying Jesus in this? Because I have to have a moment to share with Brenda tonight. And to be honest, there are some nights that it's not as easy to find that moment that I wish it was. But I've been growing through this experience as I've been trying to teach my daughter. But this begs the question, if your calling is not your career, if they are distinct and separate, what is the place of work in the life of a Christian? How does vocation fit in to calling? To answer that, I think the best way is to go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And there it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is he who gives you the power to work, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. The first thing that I notice about this passage is that the ability to work comes from God. It is not innate in you. Your ability to be a student, to be a doctor, to be a professional, whatever it is, that ability comes from God and is a blessing from God. Everyone who has the ability to work in the entire world has that ability because it is a blessing from God. It's part of God's common grace. Now, there are people that do not have the ability to work, and this is because sin is still in the world. Sin is still wrecking the world. But the ability to do work is a blessing from God. It was in the beginning and has always been and will always be a blessing from God. 
And the second thing, why does God bless us with the ability to work? Why does God give us this? And in Moses' words, that he may confirm his covenant. And the core, the root, the most important thing about that covenant was when God said to those people, I will be your God and you will be my people. The core of the covenant is he is our God and we are his people. We exist to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And this is true in the new covenant in Christ's blood. It has the same focus because Jesus died for our sins, forgiving our sins, freeing us from our own selfish, sinful desires, our own selfish, sinful natures so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could glorify him and we could experience joy with him. The covenant, our purpose, our calling is to love him, to glorify him and enjoy him. And God wants Christians doing this in every sphere, every economic sector. Whether you work in the public sector, the private sector, whether you work for a nonprofit, the role of humanity is to be a part of what God is doing, reconciling creation to himself. Late, early in that um, verse, we saw, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And later he says that he is reconciling all things through his blood. How are these things reconciled? How are these powers, how are these authorities reconciled? It is through Christians, people reconciled to God, glorifying him and enjoying him in the context of their work, where they find themselves. They glorify God and enjoy him. And through that, we actively participate in God's reconciling work in the world. There is no sacred secular divide in vocation. A pastor's vocation is no more sacred than a doctor's, than an accountant's, than a professor's, than a janitor's. There is no sacred secular divide because all vocations exist to glorify God and enjoy him. There are no insignificant, unimportant tasks because there are no insignificant, unimportant people. I like to listen to the TED Radio Hour podcast when I work out, and recently I was listening to one about work. And one of the things they were talking about is how compensation is not very high on what makes someone happy about their job. It's the impact, the influence they have in their job. And they had, um, a university had done research and they had interviewed hospital janitors. And one janitor had gone and mopped a coma patient's room twice because the dad of the patient didn't see it done and didn't think it was clean. There was another janitor that saw a patient walking down the hall exercising and so stopped mopping so that the floor would be dry so they could keep walking and then finished mopping when they were done. And when they talked to these janitors, the reason they did these things is because they believed they were an integral part of the healing process. They were there for a greater purpose. It wasn't just keeping floors clean so that someone wouldn't complain. 
is because this experience was important to the healing process. Um, I'm in the Air National Guard. Recently, I was in England, and one day we were walking down a street in Canterbury, and one of the other members of the Guard was walking with me and just sharing with me some of his troubles, just some things going on in life. And in that conversation, I was able to share God with him and glorify God to him about what was going on in his life. And he didn't open up to me because I was a pastor. He didn't open up to me because I work at a church. He opened up to me because I was there, because I was present. There was someone there who would listen. There is no sacred secular divide because all vocations are sacred, because all people have intrinsic worth. So asking the question, what is God calling me to do, I think is the wrong question. I think a better question is, how do I do this for God? How do I do this for God? Now, there are some people that have a specific vocational call. My wife, Jen, is convinced very much so that God called her to the law. But not every one of us will experience that kind of call. We look through Scripture and we see the stories of Scripture of people being called to a specific vocation by God, but those are the exception, not the rule. And just because it happened to someone in the Bible doesn't make it normative. And so you may be called to a specific vocation, but that doesn't mean you're not called if you don't have that because you are called to glorify God. So rather than what should I do, how do I do this? How do you glorify God and enjoy him as a student learning and preparing for your career? How do you enjoy God and glorify him as a fellow? How do you glorify God and enjoy him in your first job as you're working and learning about your career and vocation? How do you glorify God and enjoy him in transition? How do you glorify God and enjoy him as an established professional? Your calling, your purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. As the band comes forward, would you please pray with me? Father, you are wonderful and good and amazing. And you give us the distinct privilege of being your people. You are our God. We are your people. And we live and we exist. We breathe to glorify you. And thank you for allowing us to, in that process of bringing you glory, we get to enjoy your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.